Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, October 21st edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Hope things are well with you on Monday. I hope you made it back safely from wherever you were this weekend. Hope everyone had a good weekend. Hope everyone drank their $8 beers and bought Hemingway responsibly. Uh, we got a packed show today. We got a ton to get to as far as a loss. I think uh, you may disagree, but I think this thing on Saturday like was very much more of a big picture thing than just losing to Texas A&M as from an Ole Miss perspective. Uh, I think that a lot of things were evident. Uh, so we'll kind of get into that some. I, again, like shows like this, I don't really have a ton of a plan. But like when there's there's enough content from that game, I think, to talk about. Uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes. But hope everyone ended up safe. Hope the boozing and the vault went okay. What's up? How much? Did you, you, you get any, any $8 beer for yourself? No. So, honestly, I, I it was... Uh, me and Suss and I were joking about that. We were just kind of hanging out on the field on, uh, I guess, like about an hour and a half before the game, not really doing a whole lot. And we were going back up about 30 minutes before kickoff, and the press box elevators broke down. Um, so there was like one working elevator, and of course all kinds of people trying to get up there to get to like the luxury seating, and then of course us trying to get to like the press box. And there's no way to get there without the elevator. So there is... Which oh, I was not aware of. So apparently, so this is how we kind of got on this. Is like Sus was like, "There's actually a way to get up there. You can walk up the east. What is that? The east or west side of the stadium? It's the east. Uh, right? it'd be the west side, wouldn't it? Okay, so west, either whatever side it is, you can walk up through the, it's sta- the east. Never mind. I don't know shit. Either one of those. It's it's some kind of direction side, but you can walk up that side of the stadium through the normal stands, and there's a little gate. To where I don't know if that's luxury box seating up under where the press box is, right? But there's yeah, a small know. gate that you can walk through if the security guard lets you, and then get to the staircase, and then like walk up the stairs to the press box. Which this none of this matters. Nobody's interested in this, but none of it existed. But on the way up, I was like, like who would stop us if we went and grabbed two beers and just kind of drank them on the way up as we're just like waiting through the crowd? So I was just like. Uh, nobody, but I probably don't want to drink two beers and cover this game and just have a headache. Well, that's probably a fair <laughs> point. So, anyway. Yeah, so, none for us. I saw, uh, I did see a bunch of people, honestly, like, sometimes I'll walk around on the field before the game, sometimes I'll stay up there, because there's not really a whole lot to see as far as, like, anything on the field other than, like, who's dressed out and who's not. But I did, just kind of for out of my own curiosity, I did kind of want to see, like, like, what it looked like people drinking in the stands. I know that seems silly, but I didn't know if they were going to be, like, cans or cups or whatever. So I kind of walked by and saw, like, the student section, some people, and it it, it at least appeared, it sounded like, judging from afterward, everything went okay as far as, like, incident-wise. Like, there, were there any big problems? I know people complained about the lines, but, like, spoiler alert, if you sell beer in a stadium for the first time ever, like, a bunch of people are going to want to get a bunch. Yeah, especially when a fourth of the stadium they don't have it in because they don't want to sell it in the student section, which I think is, is a, probably a decent idea. So they didn't um, sell it in the student section? No, they. I think I'm pretty sure Keith Carter said they don't sell it in the student section. So okay, so 
But that didn't stop the students from getting. Oh no, no, no! They walk over there and get it. Okay, but, so you can do that. Like the entire thing's connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's connected to the entire stadium. Okay, so I, I didn't know that. I've actually like when I started doing this, like somewhat as a job, which I guess was last year's student media, is when that that uh, student section was built. So I've never been over there. I sat over there, I think, for the sixteen egg bowl. Yeah, it. I mean. I, I can understand where the uh, students come from from the heat perspective. But, alas, we should probably get into Texas A&M kicking Ole Miss's ass on Saturday because that's probably what people are interested in. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the heat thing just by looking at them. Like, I, I don't have to have sat there to be like, yeah, that, that sucks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anyway, I, we'll just, I guess we'll get right into it. Ole Miss loses, what, 24-17 to Texas A&M yeah. in a game – that I think Ole Miss, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would push back or disagree here. Ole Miss had really had every opportunity to win that game. Texas and, A&M didn't want to win that game. Yeah, Texas A&M didn't play well, and Ole Miss didn't either. And just, there wasn't, I mean, the, I, I say that, the I, I thought the Ole Miss defense played its ass off. I thought they played very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought they played more more than well enough to win the game. I mean, hell... You talk about this, that defense from last year. I know A and M's not a world-beating offense, but Kellen Mond is a good enough quarterback. In terms, like you can like whether he's actually a good SEC quarterback or not, you can make that determination for yourself. But he is a good enough, competent quarterback that would have torched that defense in years past. And the Ole Miss defense really—I mean, they gave up what three hundred and thirty yards of offense. Like you, you would have to take that every time. Oh, absolutely. Um, they just squat. The offense yeah. squandered it. There's no. There's no offensive identity, and look, I don't know how you want to dice this up and attack it, but look, the, the rotation that, of the quarterback. How did Rich Rodriguez look at what they were doing to John Rice Plumley for three quarters and keep sending him out there? How did that happen? Yeah, so okay, I guess I'll look at it from a little bit of a different angle. My 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 biggest, I guess, what are they doing? Like what? Like hands up in the air. Guy, like my biggest thing in terms of just watching it was I looked over at Nate Gabler a couple of times and was just like, "What is he doing?" They rotated the guy that can throw in like a package running quarterback and left the package running quarterback in as the every down quarterback. That made no. That made little to no sense to me. Like, if anything, you thought it would be the. You would think it would be the opposite, right? In terms of yep. how they were rotated in. Like, if they had left Matt Corral on the field as frequently as they left John Rice Plumley in, and then rotated John Rice Plumley in like they did Matt Corral, you might have had something. Kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, I mean, like you said, they're, they're running trick plays where they toss the ball to John Tyson Plumway for him to throw it. Like, I, what are you even doing at that point? Why not just let Crowell throw the football down the field? And um, I, I am so sick and tired, and I, I'm going to get on a rant for a minute because, one, I don't have a dog in this fight. My job is to cover the team and offer you guys thoughts as, as accurately and as neutrally as I possibly can based on what happens. But I am so sick of people coming at me on the internet, on social media, people messaging me. Apparently, based off this podcast, people think that I am like some kind of corral stand, which I don't I, understand well, this. I don't understand how you have a fun- go ahead. okay. Well, I don't understand how you have a functioning brain 
and de- and deduct that from what I'm saying. I've been adamant that I think both need to play in some capacity, but I think Corral needs to be the every down quarterback and Plumlee come in for a package of plays. But I don't understand how you look at that that TV screen or wherever you watch the game or however you watch the game with two functioning eyeballs and looked at it and said, "Yeah, they need to ride with Plumlee. Corral is the uh, is the issue." How does that happen? Like, you need to go get checked out by somebody if that's the deduction you made. I had three or four assholes come at me, like, within two quarters on Saturday night and just be like, ride with John Rice Plumley. I, I don't understand that. I, how can you look Don't at that? Corral is dropping dimes down the field in the first half that just aren't being called. See, this is how you know people that, that that say that don't know what they're talking about is, well, how many touchdowns did they score with Corral okay. on the field? That is the biggest false equivalent. Stu- it's not an argument. It's so stupid. It makes no sense. Well, because Stu Connor didn't get six inches on Saturday at Missouri, that's Mac Corral's Exactly, fault. exactly. Because because Plumley accounted for all of the touchdowns. That way they need to they need to ride with him. Spoiler alert, when a team on third and long is playing a single high safety and putting seven men in the box because they know the quarterback can't throw the football, you can't win with that. I, I, I don't understand how that's complicated or remotely controversial. I don't well, understand. You know, you, you're saying this, and I agree with you all hardly, but, but Rich Rodriguez is with him apparently because he just keeps trotting him out there. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling, hoping it like springboards into the. I don't know, hoping someone will listen because I. I mean, frankly, I say three or four a holes. I, I, it's basically it was four or five people who most of the time I get pretty good feedback from and I enjoy. But there was one guy who was just a complete and total dick about it, for the lack of a better phrase. Oh, I sorry for the language. Corral through the interception. Oh God! It was like they had hung the moon. Exactly, and, I, and and I'm not standing for Corral. I don't care. I find all of this incredibly amusing because, as much as I complain, and much as I com- it, it, this is at least an interesting dynamic. Like, I, it's it's at least something to write about. Because again, I was talking to someone the other the other night on the beat. If you didn't have the quarterback thing, what are you writing about for the last three weeks? What is the story? <laughs> Uh, you, you want me to answer that honestly? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of, but, but like from a game perspective, when oh, you go cover a game, if you don't, much. if they don't, if they don't win some of these football games, you might be writing about a new football coach. Sure, and that's fine, and you can still do the big picture. But my point being, with the Missouri, the Alabama, the Cal, the A and M, after those games, if there's not a quarterback issue, what are, what are you writing about? <laughs> How Lakia Henry had 12 tackles and a loss? Like what? There's the. There's nothing. There's He's a really good player, by the way. Yeah, the, but it, my point being is like that's at least from a content standpoint saving it from being bland. So I enjoy this controversy, whatever, whatever you want to call it, or debate. But guy who comes in and just says they need to ride with Plumley, and I was about to say guy who has a strong opinion one way or another. I don't think the strong Corral guy exists. But guy who just comes in and says they need to go with John Rice Plumley 100 percent of the time. It's, I can't entertain that. That's not, a, that's not a valid argument. I, I can't do anything with that. Like well, you, You're either no John Rice Plumley personally, or you might as well just have, uh, I don't understand anything about football, tattooed in black across your forehead. Like those, I, I, I can't do anything with that. So I, I, I don't necessarily think Crowell needs to be the quarterback on every single play, but for the love of God, I think he might deserve a series by himself every you know first half or so. And like, that, the, the inability to understand that Texas A&M had linebackers good enough to spot John Rice Plumley 
and shut him down. If you don't believe me, go check his numbers. Um, was was mind-boggling. And, and Rich Rod just kept sending him out there in the first half. And, hell, he basically sent him out there for the first three quarters. And I think Matt Luke stepped in and said, no, uh, this isn't working. We're going to play the other guy. Yeah, so I, I, I'll give, I'll give a, a, a colleague of mine a shout-out here. Um, so I got home Saturday night, and I, I couldn't really sleep. I was still kind of – there's late games, I've, I've said this a hundred times, but I'll drink like a cup of coffee at halftime to kind of like help me think and kind of stay stay yeah. awake and alert through the second half. But it, yeah, I pay for it when I get home because I can't fall asleep immediately. And so I was up just reading and watching a bunch of different stuff, and I read Neil's column from the game, Neil McCready, and I spent about 30 minutes up there trying to write what I thought about it, and I, I basically had the same type of thoughts down. But Neil, in a couple of sentences, or in a sentence, put it in a way I couldn't, and he said, one quarterback can't throw and everyone knows it, and the other can't get into any genuine rhythm because he's not on the field. And I think that's the most punctual way to describe what's happening with the quarterback situation. Then I like I, I wrote like in my opinion, and this is Neil's been doing this a lot much longer time than me, and that's like he, he described that better than I could. Like I, I wrote that in a, basically over the course of about four paragraphs and three quotes, and he was able to do it in a sentence. And I think that's the most like punctual and acute way to put what's happening. Look, teams are going to be able to do what what Texas A and M did to John Wright Plumley on Saturday. Auburn's going to be able to do that. LSU is going to be able to do that. Mississippi State might not be able to because they suck. Um, but. I just don't understand how Rich Rodriguez looked at that for three quarters on Saturday and was like, "Yeah, this is, this is what I want. This, this is this is this is the thing I need." Like, Matt Crowell's got to be the quarterback, right? And 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 play only when you think you can bust something. But I don't understand how anyone can look at this offense with zero vertical passing game and say, uh, "Yeah, this is this is what we need." And this is what pisses me off. I'll just be honest. When Matt Crowell comes in the game. They just act like they can't run the football anymore. It, it turns into Phil Longo's freaking offense when Matt Corral's back there. It, it's just, you know, let's, let's run nine routes and forget that Scotty Phillips and Jerrion Ely and Sue Connor exist. They just throw the ball the whole time. They don't they don't run the ball at all with them. And frankly, Matt Corral's not a terrible runner. So it, it, to me, it makes no sense how, how much the offense changes when he's back there taking snaps. Yeah, so you're you're talking about, and you you said a couple times that you don't understand what Rich Rodriguez is looking at, and I, I, I I'm not defending anything, but I'm I'm trying to, I, I I'm trying to understand what he might be thinking and what he might be looking at, and what's interesting about this whole situation is that he's had, he has had two quarterback systems in the past, right? Like Pat yeah. Pat White's first deal at Pat White's, I think, first year at West Virginia. There was a, uh, there was a, uh, there was a quarterback that I think obviously could not run like Pat White because there's few people in the history of college football that could run like Pat White, but was a pretty good thrower of the football. And then he goes to uh, Michigan, and I'm pretty sure originally he platooned Denard Robinson with the guy that was a little more adept to throwing the ball, and then kind but of Denard can throw the ball. See, that's what that's what you're 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 jumping the gun to my point here, which I'm glad you did because that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I don't know if he did it with Khalil Tate and someone else, but I know nah, he, I know he wrote it. Somebody. No, but there was a point in Arizona where he had a running guy and a throwing guy, and I don't remember yeah. who it was off the top of my head. Honestly, this would probably be something interesting to write about. I should go back and look. If there's anyone else on the beat listening, like hands off, that's mine. 
Um, but my point being is, is he's experimented with this in the past and had success with it to where it's the running quarterback, the Pat White, the Denard Robinson taking the majority of the snaps. But they're still more advanced throwing the football than Plumlee is at this point in his career that I wonder if he's just falling victim or falling into that trap in the sense because he's done this before with the running guy playing the majority of the time and the throwing guy coming in periodically off the bench as opposed to the inverse and thinking it can still work. But Plumlee is so behind as a runner, you just can't do that. Like I said, A&M was putting seven in the box and playing a single high safety on like third and nine. Yeah. Because they don't respect his ability to throw the ball. throw a fade route. That, That was the only option. All right. Right, and so the odds of him throwing a fade route on the money and the Ole Miss receivers who've had all their their own troubles catching it are so small that you're going to play that percentage every time and take your chance. And if he hits the fade route, then so be it because he's, what, he's probably hitting it one out of six, seven times? Yeah, and, and Ole Miss's best play on Saturday from a passing perspective with him in, it was, was defensive pass interference. Yeah, and so I, I just wonder if that's what he's looking at, if that's why he's like, I don't know if it's justifying it, I don't really know what what the right really word is but I just wonder if that's that's part of it based on how he's done it in the past but the point being and we kind of got off on a rant in a, in a little bit of a soapbox there because I just get frustrated at people like chirping that at me repeatedly as if I'm like some like some kind of corral poster child or poster boy or stand I'm not I'm just telling you playing John Rice Plumlee 100% of the time makes no sense and then rotating Matt Corral in the way they're rotating him in makes no sense like, you, don't, you don't think it's fair to just throw Corral in there on third and eight? You don't, you don't think that's So that's what I didn't it. understand. It's like, so to Corral's credit, he comes in off the bench. So Plumley, what? Plumley got the first four drives again, correct? Yeah. Okay, I'm about to pull this up for anyone out there listening that is of the opinion that they need to put John Rice Plumley in there 100% of the time. John Rice Plumley, and look, I don't want to bash this kid from, cause, because he's a dynamic account. athlete. They he need to use his feet. Team. No one is disputing that. But he doesn't get credit for Darion Ely's 69-yard touchdown run. But the 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 the, the morons. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's wrong. I shouldn't insult people. The people that think that that's their argument. The people, the Plumlee people, were like, "Well, look, they score touchdowns on the field." Like, yeah, that's a great point. John Rice Plumlee threw one hell of a block on Darion Ely's 69-yard <laughs> touchdown run. Like, it's just it's it's a false equivalence, and the people the people that are arguing that know that they know the argument doesn't make any sense, but they see Corral struggle because he's being kneecapped by the coaching staff, and they think that validates the the, the point they're trying to convey. But anyway, so he got the first four drives right. No, bear with me here, right? Yeah. Punt, touchdown, punt, 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 and the touchdown uh-huh. was a sixty-nine yard touchdown run. Nice. There's a missed field goal somewhere in there too, right? No, that was the next drive. I believe after okay. they started rotating. But Plumlee may have gotten most of that drive. Honestly, it's hard to keep up. So last week, Plumlee got the first four, first five drives, right? Yeah. Last week, you're not disputing yeah. that, right? No, no, no. Okay, so Plumlee got the last last five drives. We're we're good with that. That happened. Punt, touchdown off a of Missouri must punt. Punt, fumble, punt. Huh? So that's that's nine drives. That's seven punts. Two that's touchdowns. a turnover and two touchdowns. One off a of Missouri muff punt that went 29 yards. And to his credit, he made a nice throw 
to, I believe, Scotty Phillips against yep. Missouri and a 69-yard Jaron Ely touchdown run. And there you think you can consistently win football games in the SEC with that? Good luck? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's nonsensical. And I don't want to sound like I'm getting like emotional here because, again, I don't care. This doesn't – like it's, it's fascinating to me watching this play out, and I've enjoyed kind of covering it and writing about it because it really is interesting. But just the incessant – you need to go with Plumlee. The anti-corral stuff makes no sense to me. I don't understand what people are watching. So, like, if you're someone that wants Ole Miss to win football games and you're going two touchdowns, seven punts, and a turnover and think that is going to get the job done when he's getting drives by himself, then I don't really have anything for you. Yeah. Um, and you know, you may disagree with me here. I thought Corral was okay on Saturday night given how they kind of treated him. I thought the kid played pretty well. The interception wasn't great, but I thought the receiver could have fought back for it some too. Yeah, I thought the kid played pretty well. Yeah, so the thing about it was, is it to Corral's credit, he comes off the bench and he threw in two really, really nice footballs to Braylon Sanders, both of which got overturned off review. Two no faults of Braylon Sanders, really. Um, no, it was just, I thought, I, I'll be honest. To call those conclusive that he didn't catch it seemed a little wild. So I didn't. I, I was about to get to that. I didn't really get a good look of it on the uh, on the TV uh, review. I think it. if they call him incomplete on the field, they, they should have stood. But there's no way you can deem either of those conclusive. Yeah. Okay. So I, again, I'm deferring to you on that. I didn't get a good look. I, my seat was not next to a television, and then by the time I looked up, I couldn't really see either one. But it, it didn't seem like either one getting overturned was really Matt Corral or Braylon Sanders' fault. They were just kind of bang, bang, and it helped. But the point being, like, it's incredibly difficult to come off cold off the bench and make throws like that. And yet, they're, they're, instead of letting him have a drive by himself and use him, they continue to rotate Plumley back in there, which in some degrees worked. Like, to some instances, it worked. Like, I didn't mind at all. They let Scott, like, the first opening drive of the third quarter was really the only time this two-quarterback thing worked, and you had a Scotty Phillips 38-yard run. You had Matt Corral throw a really nice fade route down the sideline, or maybe as a wheel. He was leaking out of the backfield, whatever, to Scotty Phillips that got him inside the two. And then I believe Corral may have stayed in, but I think they brought Plumlee in down by the goal line and then Snoop ran it in, which is fine with that. Plumlee's more of a running threat. I think using him down by the goal line there is smart. But other than that, that was the only time it worked. That was a five-play, 65-yard drive. That was really the only drive they sustained the entire night. I mean, I'm looking at Ole Miss's drive chart here. Three plays, nine yards. The Ely 69-yard touchdown. Three plays, four yards. Four plays, 13. 317, 11-29, The drive we're talking about to start the third quarter. 932, 10-57, 2-14, 4-23, 3-3. And then the last one is the game was already out of reach. You're not sustaining drives. So obviously what they were doing was not working and so I guess I just didn't understand why they were doing more of it. The way they rotated Corral in was unfair to Corral in the sense that, again, people are going to be like, you're just a Corral stand. I don't really give a shit. I'm just being completely honest with you. The way he's been done in this whole thing has been incredibly unfair. And life's not fair. And college football and sometimes isn't fair. And it's just the luck of the draw and getting hurt. And John Rice Plumley deserves credit for when Matt Corral got hurt, sparking the offense, running wild over Vanderbilt, doing some really nice things in his first career start at Bryan Dennis Stadium. He deserves a lot of credit for all of that, and that's partially played into why Corral's been kind of dealt this hand. But it's still like both things can be true. John Rice Plumley's kind of made Corral's hand. B 
be what it was, and it's because he played well. But that also doesn't mean the way Corral's been, like the hand he's been dealt here, is a fair one either. Both things are allowed to be true. You better say it like this, and I have I have no intel on this. But if that kid transfers after the season, nobody's going to blame him. I wouldn't think. Yeah, because you essentially quit on him after four games. He's your redshirt freshman quarterback. That's what they spent the entire. That kid's freshman. Yeah, he's nineteen. They spent the entire offseason making him the face of the program. They took him to SEC Media Days, which now I think they would tell you is a mistake. And that's really to no fault of Corral either, just the way things have turned out. And they're basically yanking the plug on him being the every-down quarterback, you know, what, four games into the year, essentially? Yeah. And, look, I was in the camp that, hey, look, maybe maybe see what you got in another quarterback and Corral's not playing well. You see what you got, and it ain't better. Um so, so, so go back to what 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 kind of brought you. Go, go with the girl that you brought. And, and and another thing here, I think that's worth pointing out: Corral is not without flaws. Like you saw it in sure. the first three games. Part of the reason they wanted to go to this, I think, is because of the way the offense functioned in the Memphis game. Which that one, man, you go look at the way that offensive line played. I don't know what you want him to do. He had moments against Arkansas, but it still wasn't great. And then his third quarter against Cal, and really the end of the first half, that last drive of the first half against Cal where he missed those two receivers, was not good. But again, at the same time, he's 19. He's a redshirt freshman quarterback that has less than a season of football, really just over half a season of football under his belt if you're talking about full game experience. like You're going to have to let the kid grow through some growing pains, or you're not, and you're going to get this result. But I, I think it's worth pointing out is Corral is not completely without fault here. Like I, I, I'm not mystified as to completely why they're trying the plumby thing. I'm just mystified as their persistence in doing it in a way that's not working. Because again, I think both need to play. Because I don't think you can keep Plumley's feet on the sideline. But I also think you need to have more continuity with Corral than you're doing. So Corral's not without flaws here. Like he doesn't see the field well all the time. I think what he does. I think he reads what he sees well more times than not. But I don't think he sees enough a lot of the time. And then of course you have some of the accuracy issues that kind of plagued him. But at the same time, he's still completing over sixty percent of his passes. It's not like it's a huge thing, but he's missed some open throws. So he's not without without fault here. But the way and manner in which they're using the two quarterbacks is just not making any sense. And I know we've hammered that point in the ground for almost 18 minutes now, but I just I, I can't get past that. It's it's mystifying to me. And, and look, everybody's going to blame Rich Rodriguez, and you know what? He, he deserves a lot of blame. Uh, this, this offense is the offensive output on Saturday was frankly pathetic. Uh, Matt Luke's not without blame here either. You're the head football coach. At some point, you should look at your offensive coordinator and say, "Hey, look." Uh, number two is going to be our quarterback. That, that's what head coaches do. They make tough decisions like that. Um, it was inexcusable to me on, on Saturday how they handled that situation. Uh, there was a lot of mismanagement on Saturday, and we can get into that some. But uh, yeah, this, how, how Matt Corral was done on Saturday when you were not moving the football made absolutely no sense to me. Um, if he's not the starting quarterback and taking 80% of the snaps against Auburn, uh, two weeks from now, then some someone's head needs to be examined. Yeah, and sorry, I guess if you want to get to the Matt Luke side of this, I will. I kind of want to examine that some from a macro perspective here. I don't necessarily. We can we can kind of. I I, I basically I want to examine this from a big picture perspective, and then pluck instances from Saturday's game to kind of reinforce what I'm talking about here for a minute. And so, 
Again, each each week is kind of another chapter written in Matt Luke's tenure here. Because I think we've gotten to a point where we've arrived where I think it's hard to question that Matt Luke is a pretty good program manager off the field. I think he makes competent hires. I think he's recruited very well, with the, particularly with the circumstances he's dealt with um, off the field and the circumstances he kind of walked into when he took the job. Is that fair? I think he knows how to manage a program really well off the field. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, he makes he makes good hires. I think Mike McIntyre is a good hire. Well, I could argue this offensive coordinator hire is not a good one. That's right fine, but it's still in its infancy stages, and at the time, it's a credible hire. It's not Hugh Freeze hiring Phil Longo. Sure, sure. It's not Hugh Freeze hiring Wesley McGriff. Uh, sure. I mean, he hired John Sumrall. He hired Jack Bicknell Jr. Yeah. I yeah, think no, he's he a smart man that's, that's that plots things out well, that hires competent people. I think that's fair to say at this point. Yeah. I think he recruits pretty well. For the hand he's been dealt, I mean, look I at think this. He has tw- a good plan in recruiting. Yes, I do. I mean, look at this 2019 class. They've hit on everybody. Yep. They hit on a lot of kids in the 18 class. I think what he's doing there is good. But going back to my point, during the season and on the field each week, another chapter is written with regards and another molecule piece of data, whatever you want to get, the data and sample size of Matt Luke's coaching prowess within the confines of a game, the sample size gets larger each and every week. And they've continued to lose to average football teams over and over and over again. They lost to Memphis. They lost to Cal. They lost to Missouri. They lost to Texas A&M. And I know I'm stating the obvious here. And we're going and go but, back even last year. They lose to South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Auburn. I'll, I have a little bit more trouble indicting them for Auburn, but yes, point is still very I mean, it's valid. It's a five point spread last year, though. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. I, I got you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So look at Missouri. What happened to Missouri last week? What did Missouri do last week? I mean, they showed up. They didn't even play what. That's a bad. That's not a bad. I'm talking about this past weekend. Oh, you're talking about at Vanderbilt? They just scratched themselves. Missouri lost to Vanderbilt, correct? Yeah, that by by two touchdowns, if I remember correctly, maybe one. I'm not sure. Cal's quarterback's gotten hurt, but they lost to Oregon State and have lost three times since, correct? Yeah, yep, they did. Texas A&M isn't good. No, they're not. Memphis. Is I think a decent football team, but they're fine. But they're not the world beaters people think they are. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they lost to Temple. They beat. I think they beat the hell out of Tulane this weekend. They did beat the hell out of Tulane. But point being, is there an average? I mean, that's a group of five. That's a good group of five teams. So sure. that probably equates to average power five team. Like I, sure. honestly, I think with the with as as bad as the bottom in the SEC is this year, I think I think. Memphis could hold its own kind of like what Memphis, Memphis is doing and right Texas now. Texas A&M are equitable. Okay, that's fine. I'd probably put up slightly below A&M, but yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So my point being is he's continuing to lose to average teams, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. Because last year they're walking, yes, they lost to South Carolina and they lost to Auburn, but my man is rolling into that game with the roster of 52 scholarship players. Sure. And a defensive coordinator who doesn't know what he's doing and has no depth on top of that. Right? Yep. Yep. So, how much do you fault him for the losses in 18? I don't know. That's a subjective argument. That's a subjective debate. It's hard to tell. And he has an incredibly young football team this year. And he's got a 
bad offensive line. He's got an improved defense. He's got a bad receiving core. That, that offensive line will falls a little bit on him, though. Yes, it does a little bit. But he's got good running backs, and he's got an okay quarterback. Two okay quarterbacks, I would say. One really dynamic with his feet. One a pretty decent thrower and runs okay. At yep. some point, they were going to have to generate results against competent football programs because they've won three games this year, and it's Selah, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. And they all suck. And Arkansas is horrendous. And Vanderbilt is very bad. I think Derek Mason deserves a ton of credit for somehow getting that team back yeah, up off the mat good. to beat Missouri last week. But I don't think that changes the fact that Vanderbilt is a bad football team. With Vanderbilt... Obviously, the calling card of a Vanderbilt team is they're going to play good defense, be very well coached, have a decent enough quarterback, and pound you over the head with a run game. I think they're missing two of those three things this year. I think all they've got is the running back. So that's a bad Vanderbilt team that's down. Eventually, as a head coach, no matter what circumstances you've been dealt, and Matt Luke was put behind the eight ball, any head coach said this is the first coaching job they take and had the exact same circumstances behind the eight ball, but eventually you have to get results. You have to win a coin flip game. And they're not doing that, and they're not doing it, and a lot of it is coaching. The yeah. the the way they he allowed Rich Rodriguez to continue to use the way the quarterbacks thing because I said that on, on up in the press box on Saturday, and Nate was like, "Well, he does it. That's not his call. That's Matt Luke's." Oh, Luke, I, and yeah. Rich Rodriguez, excuse me. And I said, "Yeah, it, you're you're right, but eventually, man, you're the head coach. Like you're responsible for the product on the field. Eventually, you got to step in as even if you're an Ed Orgeron like program manager, you got to step in and do something." You, you've got to do something about that. That's it's, your product your with your name, name on it. Correct. So, eventually, you, you've got to win a couple of these games. And, I, honestly, I, I forget to give... The the second... I'll, I'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The clock management at the end of the first half was atrocious. He caught a timeout on an extra point to buy time to lobby for a review on what was a fairly obvious touchdown catch. Right, they review every scoring play. Yeah, no, no, no. I, yep, I mean... Again, I guess case in point, you put that better than I could have. I got it. But even if you really wanted that to be a review, one look up at the video board and you could tell that's not worth the challenge. And they were probably going to score anyway. I know you don't want to concede a touchdown, but be smart about it. You're about to get the ball with a minute left. You don't use your last time out. Then he runs the ball with Plumlee four times, right? And then puts Corral in the game at midfield to basically take two heaves down the field. Like... Say whatever your opinion is on the quarterback thing. With 45 seconds left and you're trying to score points in no timeouts, wouldn't you put the kid in that can throw? Yeah, that, that would, you know. Well, no, uh, Matt Luke wouldn't because, by God, you can't score the last two minutes of the half. Right. You and just so, got to take eight. And so my point being is that maybe cost them three points, maybe. Well, do you want to talk about what led to the touchdown drive in the first half by a Well, what? yeah, we can get to that in a second. The, one of the points I was going to make is I tweeted out that poor clock management probably cost them three points, and somebody responded with, I think your point is valid, but I've seen that kick, kid kick field goals. It didn't cost them three points. And I was just kind of, okay, <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough, man. Touche. No, but, but they sent that kid out to kick a 50-yard field goal. Yes, they did, and that's what led to the touchdown, correct? So he had no prayer making a fifty-yard field goal, and I can't get mad at him about that one. He can't make fifty-yard field goals. Yeah, that's the thing is Luke Logan, like he is what he is, and on a scale of in a world of bad college kickers, he probably falls somewhere in the middle. Is that fair? He's good enough from forty in it. I think Ole Miss fans have been spoiled by how good Gary Wonderland yeah, yeah, that, was. That part's true. 
So I think Luke Logan, in terms of college kickers, is probably actually somewhere in the middle. And, and he's the one that was blocked wasn't even his ball. Because he's good enough from 40 yards and in. Good enough. Not good. I'm saying good enough. He's average yeah. from 40 yards and in. But he shouldn't attempt field goals from outside 40 yards. He just shouldn't. It's not in his skill set. I'll give him 45. It's not in yeah. his skill set. It's not in his repertoire. I'm not necessarily faulting the kid for it. But to your point, they try a 50-yard field goal. And then, you know, it leads to a touchdown. And in a half where it was probably difficult to say statistically that Ole Miss played better because A&M outgained him and A&M probably played a little bit better offensively, you still felt like, like I felt like Ole Miss probably should have been leading that game going into halftime and had multiple opportunities to lead by not only one but multiple scores and just wasn't able to. So now you go in trailing. And I'm getting off off subject here because we're trying to evaluate Matt Luke and the macro as a coach. But they were coaching decisions that put them that did not put them in positions to succeed and put them needlessly behind the eight ball. Like at some point, it's got to fall on the coach that when you have multiple opportunities to go up two scores and you don't, and then you a turnover, and all of a sudden you're down because that scoop and score in the third quarter on the Plumley fumble, and Plumley's just trying to make a play there. That's a freshman mistake. He's going to learn from that to just kind of sure. eat it sometimes. But that changed the game more violently than any other play. But anyway, I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of waffling around here. Matt Luke in the macro, fair or unfair with the hand that he's been dealt the first couple of years. Eventually, you have to get results, man. Yeah, this is look, a bottom line industry. This is a bottom line business. You have yeah, to win look, games, and I don't like the hand he's been dealt. Regardless, there have been three or three chances this year, four chances a year for him to be in games and for him to win them, and they haven't won any of them. Texas A&M having more talent than Ole Miss didn't call a timeout on an extra point. Um, Texas A&M being more talented than Ole Miss didn't kick a 50-yard field goal. Texas A&M being more talented than Ole Miss didn't continue to play John Rice Plumley for three and a quarter quarters. Hey, you can sit there and tell me that, you know, I, and I'm not saying you're saying this. You can tell me, hey, the, the hand that he's been dealt hasn't been, hasn't been a fair one. I don't really disagree. But there are issues in game. Like, man, he waited 20, 15 to 20 seconds in the Cal game to call a timeout when they're trying to conserve time. You think they might have needed 15 to 20 seconds or a timeout in the California game? I mean, it's just thing after thing after thing. And, you know, you talk about, hey, you get better each week, improvement each week. Well, I don't see any improvement from an in-game perspective. I mean, I haven't since 2017. Um, so if you want to criticize him in game, I think it's completely fair, and I think it's accurate. Um, I think his in game coaching has costed Ole Miss football games, multiple football games, since he took over as the head coach. You mentioned fifteen to twenty seconds. I need fifteen to twenty seconds to tell you about LBs. The podcast is sponsored by LBs. We're really happy with our partnership with Greg. Go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. It's grilling season. It is not grilling weather right now because it is raining, and my jacket is still wet from running in here without a rain jacket to record. But weather's getting cooler. Fall is in full swing. We're in the meat, the back end of college football season. Go throw something on the grill on Saturday. You've got a, two home games left. Go see Greg. Let him help you get set up. He's got steaks. He's got custom cuts. He'll do sausages. He's got all kinds of stuff. If you're hungry for lunch and you're in town, he's got really good plate lunches. Greg is always cooking up something delicious in the kitchen. But if you're big into grilling, uh, my girlfriend's father was in town over the weekend and I don't know anything about grilling. And he was all fired up about the way he grilled, I think, this pork butt. 
and I was interested in what he was talking about and what he had to oh, say. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know what the hell any of this is. I couldn't begin to learn how to do this. I was like, you need to go see my friend Greg. Y'all could talk about meats. He could get you set up. So go see Greg. He's the meat doctor. They've got all kinds of stuff over there. LB's across from University Avenue. Uh, Greg's got the meats. So pretty solid segue. Anyway, if, if you had a final thought, finish it up. Uh, no, Mark Rick had a uh, heart attack this morning. Oh, geez. I hope he's okay. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, back to... Uh, yeah, it's up. Look, man, it's a bottom line business. And I keep telling, I, I, I don't know if this is a popular or unpopular opinion. I, I, a lot of times I'll sit back and I'll think and I'll try to look at, like, what is what is history going to, how, how are they going, it, obviously people don't really teach history on college football, but I do this in world history sometimes in current events, and I think it's an interesting exercise to do with sports sometimes. If there were a history teacher teaching about the, this period of Ole Miss football 15, 20 years from now, how would they teach it? And I keep going back to it. it. It seems more and more like Matt Luke is going to be end up being the unsung hero that held the program together through a really bad time and should be admired for that, but really just kind of steadied the waters. Like I don't really know what the analogy is, but he's not. He's going to get credit for kind of holding the program together through a difficult time. But it just seems more and more that this may not end in a positive fashion for him because eventually he's got to get results. And he's not getting those results. And the only way he's going to be able to see the foundation that he's laid come to fruition is winning these types of games. And I think his shortcomings as an in-game head coach may cost him the ability to do that. And my overall point being here, it just seems more and more he's going to end up looking like the unsung hero that held things together. But I just don't know if he's going to produce enough results to see all of this through to actually building it into a contender. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. Um, I don't think there is any evidence to, to suggest that this is going to work. Um, I think Matt Luke, like we mentioned, has a plan in recruiting. I think from a program management standpoint, he knows what he's doing. Um, I think from an in-game perspective, none of that is ever going to matter. Um, if he's not drastically better in, in, inside of football games, inside the 60 minutes. Um, and there's been zero improvement from the day that he took over in that realm, so I have a really hard time believing that's going to be the case. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. Look, uh, Matt Luke's probably going to be saved from the fact that there's no athletic director in place right now. I expect there to be one in there by the end of football season, maybe. Um, but I think Matt Luke survives this. But I don't think there's any capital going into 2020 at all. Well, that's when the results have to come. And we talked about the 2020 schedule. If you listened to last week's podcast, um, it doesn't set up any favors. Their first three SEC games are Alabama, Auburn, and LSU. I don't know if that's the exact order, but that's the first three SEC games you're playing after opening the season with Baylor and Houston. Like, buckle up, man. Like that, that you're in a season where you need to produce results quick, and the season needs to get off to a good start. The schedule doesn't lend you any favors, like. And then with the way Ed Orsron has LSU rolling, and I know they're going to probably have a new quarterback, I, I just don't – I mean, that beating Alabama and LSU is not reasonable. I don't end up knowing what happens with Auburn and Gus, but that doesn't seem likely either. And I, I feel foolish for even talking about going down wins and losses for 2020. But I just say all of that to say that, like, if you don't – like, like 
in a year where results are going to have to come quickly, that schedule doesn't lend itself to produce results quickly. There's not a lot of places, I'll just be honest, there's not a lot of places in the SEC where you can go 5-7 and seven and 4-8 and eight and, and you get to keep your job. Uh, you, you get run out of there most places. That is um, that is true, but this is a little bit of unique circumstances. It, it is, but at the end of the day, it is an SEC job. Um, Joe Moorhead's going to probably not be at Mississippi State next year, whether it's because he's at Rutgers or they fire him, um, because he went five and seven after going eight and five. Like, like this is a cutthroat business. And, and Matt Luke, look I, again. I, I'm going to say this. I think he survived this, but I. If, if some athletic director, and I'll ask, and you can give me your opinion, if some athletic director comes in here, engages the program, and looks at it, and, and decides to make a change, Matt Luke's not really giving them a reason to, to to say that's a bad idea, right? Yeah, I mean that this was kind of like the swing game because I was talking to someone about this last week, and it's like if they had won that game, they've got really a puncher shot at going six and six because they're going to beat oh, Mexico I, I think State. They do. And they got a chance to beat State in Starkville. That game always gets weird. State does not look very good. Whatever. All I'm saying is, and then the, the entire conversation is different. But he's running out of opportunities to, to show progress in the form of results. And that's what I wrote about on Saturday night. Like th- This team is running out of chances to show that they're improving in the form of wins. And that's really the only thing that saves you in this yep. business. Is showing, res- is showing progress through wins. Like showing progress through losses only buys you short-term capital. If I mean, it only Especially buys you a short amount of time. Especially when those losses are manufactured by coaching mistakes. Yeah, and so it only buys you a short amount of time. Like putting a respectable-ish performance against Alabama and coming close against Missouri, that only buys you so much capital. Eventually, there has to be results. That's the only way you you buy time in this industry. And so they're running out of chances to do that because you can't do it against Alabama. I mean, you can't do it against. Excuse me. You can't do it against LSU. You're not going to do it against Auburn. Like beating New Mexico State is not going to buy you any capital, and honestly, beating this current version of the this Mississippi State team is only going to buy you capital because the name on the opposing helmet. Yeah, I was going to say it'll it'll buy us if they beat Mississippi State. He's not going anywhere. Um, it'll buy some capital because by God, that game. And look, I get it. I grew up. You know, I, I went to Ole Miss and I grew up 15 minutes from Starkville. I get it. Um, that game's going to play way too much significance like it did two years ago. So, that'll be fun. But again, you talk about the macro, like two quarterbacks, whatever, like whatever you want to call it, they're eight games into this season, and they really don't have an offensive identity. I I feel foolish for writing two weeks ago that they were finding an offensive identity, but they were really just forced into it because they have a quarterback that can only run and can't throw, and they're pummeling people on the ground. And granted, that was Vanderbilt. And the current version of that, as I repeatedly said, was never going to be sustainable. But the only reason they settled into an offensive identity is because they were forced into it because their original starter had bruised ribs and you had to bring in a kid that can only run. He got hurt Saturday, by the way. Is he okay? Who? Corral. He went down for a minute. They didn't mention anything in the injury report afterward, but I'll ask today. Uh, I think he's fine. Scotty Phillips had a knee injury, but he thinks he'll be okay. But they were going to know more today. I'm sure I'll learn more shortly. Uh, Jared Neely exited the game. We were told with flu-like symptoms, but Matt Luke seemed to think he got hit in the head. That seems like a fairly wide range of injury possibilities there, so I don't really know what to make of that. <laughs> um, but I think that was about it on the injury front. 
Ben Brown and Eli Johnson had ankle injuries, and that contributed to it some. This offensive line can't afford to have injuries, and you lose two centers. That's not good. But my point being is, back to what I was saying, they're nine games in and don't have an offensive identity. Yeah, yeah. And and if they keep doing this plumbly thing, they're not going to find one either because what's going to wind up happening is you're going to find yourself behind the sticks. And, oh, crap, we got to put the thrower in now, uh, which is not fair to Matt Corral. It's not fair to your offense. And But, by God, they, they seem dead set on doing it. So, anyway, we've gone about 50 minutes on this. Um, for the sake of time, I've got a couple of lighter note thoughts. I would like to give a massive props to both the Mississippi State and the Ole Miss section. Massive props to both the Ole Miss and the Mississippi State student section for perfectly executing dueling cup snakes. Did you see this? No, I did see the Ole Miss one. I didn't see the state one. So, obviously, Ole Miss, you sell beer in the stadium, you put it in cups. There's going to be a cup snake. And I saw a video of it, and it was absolutely hysterical. Mississippi State students, they don't sell alcohol in the stadium but they made one, and the students at State not only made it, they carried it out of the stadium and carried it across the junction to some undisclosed location. And it took like 15 dudes to carry this cup snake across. I love a nice cup snake because it's so funny because obviously you've had to consume a couple of beers to form a good solid cup snake. And they everyone, don't sell beer in the stadium and start with us. I know. I don't know what it was. Whatever. They're stadium cups. But like... <laughs> Everyone carrying and contributing to the cup snake has this look of determination and that they're contributing to a greater purpose. And they're just and they are. they're so filled with joy that they contributed this cup snake and they're going to carry it and they don't know where the hell they're bringing it or where this snake is going to end up, but this is their baby damn it and they're going to take care of it. And so I yeah, give them it, mad it, props it, on that. Yeah, agreed. When uh when when the teams on on the field aren't giving you, you know, the joy that you need, you find it in cup snakes. Yeah. Them, them, that, that those were two really nice cup snakes. The kid putting the last cup on the cup snake and the Ole Miss student section going ape shit was hilarious. I mean, like the amount of just pure blissful joy that people get from watching someone contribute to like a cup snake or like a baseball game finish chugging a beer will never not be hilarious to me. I mean, it's really just kind of barbaric. But everyone's just yelling as if, like, they discovered fire for the first time. Like, there's finally light. And everyone's just going to let out a shriek. So, I think they deserve a hat tip to that. Um, on a more serious note, wrapping up the Ole Miss thing, they got a bye week. I think they had a, this was a game where they had a lot of injuries. I don't really know where they go from here. They're not going to a bowl game unless you upset Auburn or LSU. So, again, probably not going to a bowl game. I think they, for Matt Luke's sake, I don't think you can sell four and eight. I don't think selling five and seven is easy to do, but it's easier to do it and beat Mississippi State. So they need to find a way to go two and two down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, if you go three and one, everything's safe. I don't know how you're going to do it. But, I mean, to be fair, you know, we talk about, you know, we don't know how, uh, you know, Ole Miss is going to beat Auburn or Ole Miss is going to beat LSU. Wisconsin did get beat by Illinois on Saturday. Yeah, they did. So before we cut out again, before we get to our rapid fire, sorry, cut now. Mike's messing up there. Cut out for a second. Before we get to our rapid fire college football thoughts, uh, one more time, go see Greg uh, University Avenue across from uh, Kroger LBs. They've got the meats. Go see Greg for your next Grove, or if you're just in town, go get a plate lunch. He's always working up some kind of delicious stuff. He's got plate lunches. They've got daily specials, whether it's a filet special, 
some kind of ribeye special. He's got custom cuts. They've got great steaks. They've got great sausages. They've got sides, jalapeno poppers, mushrooms, all kinds of stuff. You need to go see Greg at University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, he's uh, sponsoring our Pick'em. We'll have his picks ready for Wednesday. We'll have hopefully him back on the show Friday, possibly. Uh, we really appreciate Greg sponsoring the podcast. Go see him. LB's is the best place in the state of Mississippi to go get meat. Oxford be damned. It's the best place in the state. If you're going to get pickup meat, if you're going to throw something on the grill, go stop at LB's. It's on University Avenue across from Kroger's. Rapid fire for i got to go to this press conference. Just general thoughts on college football this weekend. Uh, LSU didn't even play well and still beat State by 30, so LSU's a machine. Props to Orgeron. Like, those kind of games are almost more impressive to me in some senses because they were bad offensively for, like, two quarters, and then they still just poured it on. They're good. Yeah, and, and what's funny is they got to keep it going because Auburn rolls into Death Valley this week. So, I mean, they, they have had a stretch of games. So they've had to get up every single week. Uh, Florida and Missouri may – Florida and Missouri may win the East because Georgia has issues. Um. Yeah, I still. I mean, I still at the end of the day think Georgia wins it because talent wins out. Um, but good God, they look bad. Yeah, they did. Um, I'm trying to think what else kind of happened over the weekend. Uh, honestly, Miles Mich- is fixing Kansas. Yeah, dude. They so I didn't get to see any of that game, but they were somebody was giving me basically a play by play update up in that press box. They they damn near won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunate they couldn't get a stop, but yeah, yeah. So props to him, honestly, because that's a horrible job, and they're they're competitive. They should have three wins, but they lost to I think Coastal Carolina. Yeah, they did. Um, and then beat Boston College the next week. But Les has them more competitive, so good on him. Um, dude, man, if he has a second or third year where they get to a bowl game, that's a major accomplishment. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Shea Patterson and Pitt, Michigan were that. better than I thought in the second half in terms of offense. Um, sure. I do hate it for that kid, though, dropping that touchdown. That's brutal. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, they had a game-tying touchdown at fourth and goal on the goal line, and a Ooh. kid let the, like a, basically a three-yard touchdown pass go through his hands that would have tied the game. Ooh, I do, yeah, sure. I, I, I hate that for that kid. I hate when that happens to anybody, but... I, I don't hate it for sure. You want to talk about someone, when we talk about Matt Luke needing bottom line results, Harbaugh's got to start getting results, man. Harbaugh's going to get himself fired. That's the time. I think he gets another year, but I think if the results don't come next year, he's done. Yeah, I mean, how do you justify the fact that you can't beat Penn State, Penn State, or Ohio State? Yep, I agree. Uh, anything else we're missing big picture in college football? Uh, no, I think... Uh... Auburn beat the hell out of Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas sucks. I think Chad Morris may be on his way out. Yeah, it, I mean, 0-16 tough, man. Yeah, even no matter what he was dealing with personnel-wise going in, I don't know how you sell that. I mean, uh, I think they may can beat Mississippi State because State looks like a team that's ready to give up. But, yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't really see much hope for Arkansas. Um, I'm trying to think what else, if I had any more thoughts. Uh, good on Derek Mason. I don't know if that's enough to save him. But that's a pretty impressive performance after a really embarrassing loss. Hey, I want to talk, and, and i got to pull this up real quick. Tennessee is getting better and better each week. Like, I know that's a common joke and whatever, but they really, give Jeremy Pruitt some credit. They are a better football team each and every week. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they, 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 even with Tua going out of the game, I thought they performed okay. I'm trying to pull up their schedule and see if they can get to a bowl game. Because if they can get to a bowl game, that's kind of fun. 
I don't so think they, there's enough left. I know they have Kentucky left. They have Vanderbilt. They have Missouri. And yeah. Well, no, I would look. They they host South Carolina this week. They host UAB. They go to Kentucky. They host Vanderbilt, and they play Missouri. They need four of their next five to get to a bowl game. But it's Vanderbilt, Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, and UAB. You tell me they go four and one there. I'm not shocked. Yeah, the only problem with that is I'm not disagreeing with you, but Missouri's pretty good. Well, okay, that's your one. <laughs> I mean, no, excuse me, hey, UAB, sorry. UAB's oh, actually yeah, pretty yeah. good. UAB's been, they're very well coached. Bill Clark does that one heck of a job. So, anyway, kind of wrapping that up, i got to get to this press conference. We'll get to some uh, NFL stuff and some other general stuff with the NBA starting up on Wednesday's show. Uh, I have some thoughts on the NFL, but we're running a little bit of short on time this morning. I had... A little bit of a scheduling conflict, but I don't know. Kind of finishing up, Ole Miss, it'll be an interesting last four weeks. You know, I wrote Saturday, this was really their most damaging loss, I would say, because it cemented their ceiling for the 2019 season more permanently than I think any other loss has. Like, five and seven's the ceiling, right? I mean, that's it. Getting four and eight is still possible. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's gone to my head. I don't think there's much way they get above five and seven. So... Anyway, uh, I don't know. They got the bye week. They're going to get healthy. I'm going to go figure out in a second what injuries they have. But, you know, eventually the results have got to come or it's not going to end well for Matt Luke. And I don't say that just flippantly or being kind of snarky. It's just the way this industry is and it's the way this business is. So unless you got any more thoughts, I'm going to head to this press conference um, and then we'll be back at it on Wednesday. I've got some different stuff with the bye week. We'll probably have some general college football guys on since Ole Miss doesn't play. We're still going to do three podcasts. We've got all like we'll probably do some general college football stuff, talk some matchups. We'll do our picks on Friday as usual. So I'll work on a couple guests for Wednesday show. But uh, unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here. Sounds good. All right, one more time. Go see Greg University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's best meat place in Mississippi. Steaks. He'll custom cut stuff. They've got daily specials, plate lunches. They've all got all kinds of sausages. If you're throwing something on the grill, you need to let Greg and LBs help you out. It's absolutely the best place to go get meat in Oxford. Um, And it's awesome that you can go get lunch there, plate lunches every day. Um, You need to go let them hook you up for one of these last two Grove games if grilling in the Grove is kind of your thing to do. Or if you're just in town and want a nice plate lunch or you want to throw something on the grill at your house or condo or whatever it may be, go see Greg. He'll help you out. He'll tell you exactly what you want, exactly what you need. So go see Greg. Um, but thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Like and subscribe. Um, I've liked people giving me feedback. I've gotten more and more people sending me just like DMs and stuff of their thoughts about something we said or questions or whatever. I don't always get to – I don't answer people that quickly. Um, but trust me, I'll try to get back to you as quick as I can. Um, I know there were a couple questions people had today that I didn't get to. I'll get to that for Wednesday's show. I do see them. It just sometimes takes me a while to respond. But thanks for the feedback. Continue to interact with us. That's fun. That's what makes this great. But anyway, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. Um, And for now, I'm getting out of here. But thank you guys for listening again, and we'll catch you on Wednesday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.